1: that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential.
0: Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, excited for today's episode. We're going to be talking about a topic that is very near and dear uh, to my heart, and that is protecting and fighting against censorship. Um, Some tactical, practical uh, methods that are available out there in order to um, not only fight back against censorship, but uh, actually, go on the offensive. I think um, against uh, you know censorship from big tech companies, which is something that I, I think we are behind in in doing so. Much of the way that uh, we have dealt with censorship, I think at this point has been very reactive. So I'm extremely excited uh, to bring you my guest today, who I will introduce in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to remind you about our sponsor. For today's episode, that sponsor is Masa Chips. Do you like tortilla chips? Do you hate seed oils? Well, then you're going to like Masa Chips because Masa Chips are fried in grass-fed beef tallow. No seed oils. Uh, Seed oils, of course, very inflammatory and not good for you. If you've been looking for a healthy tortilla chip that does not taste like cardboard and tastes delicious, then the answer there is Masa Chips. Just go to masachips.com and uh, pick up a few bags of Masa Chips and uh, use promo code LIONS at checkout. And uh, I promise you, I promise you, you're going to love them. You're going to absolutely love them. They are freaking delicious. And they're scaling up. They're growing. This is a young startup. You're helping uh, some freedom-minded entrepreneurs to advance their vision of a uh, a seed oil-free tortilla chip. So please do what you can. Buy some mustard chips. Secondly, want to remind you, this show, um, Finding Freedom, every time I interview someone, now I do a bonus segment. And that's no different for today. I have an awesome uh, bonus segment that I uh, recorded with my guest where we dig a little deeper into certain areas. Uh, I find out why maybe Joe Rogan doesn't like him. So if you want to learn more about my guest and get an extra 15, 20 minutes of Find Your Freedom, be sure to join the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash lions of liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. And of course, you join the pride, you get all of the other additional perks that we have. So don't delay, go join the pride today. That rhymed, you're right. Free rhymes here on Finding Freedom. Well, let's get into this interview. I Don't want to waste any more time. All right, live here to the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I'm joined by Matthew Raymer. He is the CEO of Content Safe. And we're gonna learn all about Content Safe. So I, I don't want to tell you exactly what it is because then you wouldn't listen to this whole interview. But essentially, from what I understand is it is a way for um, those of us, like here at Lions of Liberty, who have suffered from uh, deplatforming or uh, shadow bans on YouTube. I'm looking at you, YouTube. I don't like your YouTube. Um, people like that, they help to keep the content safe, to keep it circulating, to keep it out there. And uh, we'll talk all about that. But Matthew, happy to have you here on Finding Freedom.
1: Good to be here with you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show and to talk about our wonderful service with you all in the nutshell what we are is a content redistribution service uh we take content from one place and we broadcast it to many other places uh we're specialized in alternative media platforms uh we don't, okay. though we have the capability to upload to YouTube or uh, Facebook or p- the mainstream platforms. We de-emphasize that, and we are trying to encourage people to go to places like Bitchute and Odyssey and Rockfin and on mm-hmm. and um, the many other sites that are out there.
0: There were a couple names there I don't think I've heard before, but we, we can talk talk more about those. I've, I've heard a Bitshoot and Odyssey. Um, we, we use Rumble too, um, but yeah there were we'll, we'll talk about the uh, the other options I, I don't want to dig into the uh into the details of it yet because first I want my audience to learn a little bit about you and how you ended up here um, and, and why you're passionate about this so well, maybe if you could just give some, some background uh, on yourself uh, how sure how you got to being CEO of, uh, of content safe well let me
1: I, I can make this story as long or short as you like but let me try to give you the middle
0: Let's go, let's go in detail. I mean, it's it's a podcast. Let's, let's make it fun. Okay.
1: Uh, well, I kind of give a lot of credit to my dad. Uh, I'm 53. My dad passed away in 2012. So I was a child of the seventies and eighties. And my dad was an old school conspiracy theorist. So in 1984, 1985, he was telling me that the bankers ran the world and that the US government was involved in all of these projects that they shouldn't be involved in. And he was very well read for a man who never finished high school.
0: Uh, and did he vote for Ron Paul in 1988 on the libertarian ticket? No, I yeah. don't think he did. In fact, you know, <laughs> I'm not
1: even sure okay. who he voted for in 88, but I can remember in 1980 with reagan i can remember Mm because i was i was quite politically active at a young age and i remember talking to my dad about reagan and how great reagan was and my dad looked at me and he said reagan's the choice between two uh two evils that's what he told me in 1980 and he was a registered republican at the time and Mm -hmm. he was very anti-establishment uh to, to just give a bit of backstory I'm the last child of uh, of four, and my eldest brother volunteered to go to Vietnam. Wow. Yeah, and he volunteered, and he told my mom before I went, because my mom, <laughs> bless her heart, my mom had me when she was 37. And she had him whenever she was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah, and... My brother told my mom, it's good you're having another child because he's my replacement. Wow. And this him dying broke the heart of both my mom and my dad. My dad begged him to go to Canada to avoid being drafted, and he went ahead and volunteered Mm -hmm. because he felt guilty he had friends dying. It, wow. it was crazy and I think it was out of yeah. that that my dad became anti-establishment because of that. And yeah. that, that kind of sets the footing for what comes next, which is the PC revolution, you know, personal computers. And my dad and mom pumped a lot of effort into my education and me. Uh, I mean, I mean goodness, the things my dad was busy working with my other three siblings. But with me, it was like everything was about me. Uh, it was like taking me to go to places, taking me to go, not just entertainment. I mean, like intellectual things. So hmm. it was all about educating me and making sure I could think and, and all of that stuff. Well, I ended up with a computer when I was 13, when no one else even hardly knew what a computer was. Uh, and I taught myself to program. And by the age of fifteen, I'd started a small
0: company pre-internet. What, what kind of computer? I'm just curious. What kind of computer? Do you remember what you had when you were thirteen? Uh, the Commodore 64. Okay, I don't even know what that is. So What, you what know. year would have that been? That would have been 1983. And one. Okay, the, well, see, I was born in '83, so that would that would uh, make sense. Why, why I don't know. Well, you know, there at that time. Just aside, there was really only
1: three different. Types of computers you could get in 1983. Mm -hmm. There were these little home Sinclair 1000 with these little pressure sensitive keypads that you would buy off of uh, magazine articles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there were the TRS 80s, which you buy at Radio Shack. And I always thought of a computer whenever I was that age, like, oh, that's a real computer, a TRS 80s, a real computer. But my dad bought me this Commodore, which was a popular brand. I think it cost three or $400 in 1983, which was kind That's of pricey. a lot of money back then. Yeah. 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 And uh, they invested in that for me. And I taught myself the program. And I started this small company. didn't really go far because you're only 15 years old. But it was building bulletin board software, which... Pre-internet, you could get these dial-up modems. I, you may remember mm-hmm. dial-up modems if you were born in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Of course.
0: Of course. Yes. With a, a, a AOL sign-on and you've yeah. got mail. Yeah. I, I remember well, see, that. This I, was- I'm part of the... I, 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 am a, I am a millennial, but I'm like the the oldest millennial possible. So millennials are split, split in like two generations. There's a generation that remembers the world before the internet, and there's the millennials who who don't but well i feel i mean it's kind of a mixed blessing for me i i'm gen x i'm
1: the very Mm -hmm. definition of gen x 1970 and i feel blessed in the sense that i get the pc revolution i get to know what everything was like before computers yeah i grew up on a farm in southern indiana so i know what it's like to live in a rural place and my dad actually he had a job in, in Kentucky, that he commuted to every day. But he had a farm as well, which was, I call it a hobby farm, <laughs> about mm-hmm. 50 acres. And we would raise corn, oh, nice. tobacco, soybeans, cattle, goats, chickens, turkeys. In fact, when I came around, they scaled down because before me, it was dairy, pigs, the whole nine yards. They did everything.
0: And, and he was working a full time job? Yes. And wow. my mom had a, she had a, cos, what is it, a
1: beautician's license. And she, my dad huh. built her a little uh, beauty shop uh, on our property. And all of the ladies around the countryside would come to my mom's beauty shop to get their hair cut and all of that. Uh, so I grew up in a salon. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they said all I the gossip yeah, they, yeah they, I, they said I learned to talk before I could walk and uh, it, as it shows in this interview I, I, I have a bit of a gift for gab um so anyway back to content sake mm-hmm. I got interested in the sciences after that and I entered college and I triple majored in uh, computer science math and physics and then I went I started a PhD in physics in 1992. But after a year and a lot of stress, because physics graduate school is quite stressful, I said, you know what? I have good grades, but I really don't think I want to do this the rest of my life. So I went back and got a master's in computer science. Now, this is another pivotal point in content safe. I was in my, one of my last semesters of that master's degree, and I had one of my professors come in because we had the internet on campus at that time. This would have been 94. We had a National Science Foundation grant to bring internet to the university. And I was actually in one of the first uh, Linux laboratories ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I helped. There was a team of about a dozen of us that helped administer the first Linux uh, student-run Linux laboratory, Slackware. If for any uh, Linux aficionados out there, and uh, this professor came in one day and he he said, "They they can't they can't keep this internet open. It has to be it has to be censored." Now he didn't explain what wow. he saw that bothered him. But that's what he said. He opened the door and he said that. And I remembered exactly what I thought in that moment. I was like, no, it shouldn't be censored because I could see in 1994 the value of the internet. And even Mm -hmm. then I would call it 80% garbage, 20% treasure. And I still think that's true. It's about 80% garbage and 20% treasure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, fast forward a little bit. I, I had a classmate whenever I was uh, in physics that uh, had started a business in Hong Kong. And he invited me over because, like the typical American, I never traveled. I traveled outside of the country to Mexico. But I mean, that was like at that time, you didn't even need a passport to go across the border to Mexico and i was like okay i'll come for the summer well i met my future wife there <laughs> <laughs> and uh i went back to the states finished my degree came back stayed in southeast asia the rest of my life wow and over that time i've ran businesses here in southeast asia i've done consulting uh globally uh u.s europe australia i haven't done any gigs in africa or No, I actually did do a gig for someone in Africa once, and uh, nobody in South America. And over that time, I've done corporate, I've done government work for uh, governments other than the US, like the UK. And um, I've come to understand how the world works. And I didn't like what I saw. And whenever I was skeptical about what my dad told me as a child, But whenever I got that knowledge of the real world, I was like, you know what? You really have to protect the ability to speak, even if it's something you disagree with, because the way Mm -hmm. you hash out things is you discuss them. You don't hash things out by suppressing them. In fact, you create a dynamic of violence whenever you do that, because people have no Mm -hmm. way, no other recourse, at least in their minds, especially as emotionally insecure and immature that uh, the world is. Uh, most people don't really know how to handle their emotions very well. Uh, and discussion is one way you do that. So, 90, 20, 9, 8, say 2017, 2018, whenever Alex Jones was deplatformed, we we really took it seriously and we said, you know what, we've been thinking about this. For I've been thinking about content safe since 2012, uh, and I was like, "Let's let's do it." So mm-hmm. I had a I had a version that I actually outsourced, uh, and we ran that for about a year. And while I thought the programmer did a pretty good job, I think that he didn't really understand one philosophically what we were about, and two, I don't think he understood. The need to be able to rapidly grow, so I basically threw away his version and I rewrote my own and we've been put, we've been going out and soliciting content, content safe seriously since 2019 and with the, the lockdowns and all of those issues, we knew that we were going to be growing rapidly and we've gotten up to about 50 clients right now.
0: Awesome so so let's talk about in in a nutshell how how it works so you know this is the Lions of liberty podcast here right now um most is being streamed to an unlisted youtube and to uh to facebook but when it publishes obviously it'll go out to apple Podcasts, all the podcasting apps we published to youtube to rumble and to odyssey um and like i said at the at the top of the show for years maybe five six years we were um effectively shadow banned on youtube where they would keep us perpetually at two strikes right and finally this year something shifted where we stopped getting strikes they would just dig up strikes from the past whenever you know we would get close to uh, one expiring um so now we're able to monetize but we're still kind of shadow banned um But anyway, that's that's just kind of the the backstory for us here at Lines of Liberty. So, say Lines of Liberty comes to you um, with our shows, and we say we want to use Content Safe. What 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 would we be getting in the uh, in the product? Well,
1: as an architectural decision, I decided that I would provide a flexible means of getting content from content creators. So, as far as how what you would do, it's really up to you what we try to stay with your current workflow so you're automatically Mm -hmm. posting to youtube we would pull it from youtube and then you would tell us what platforms you want it to go to and then it would automatically go out to those platforms now i have some content creators who have production teams and what we do with them is let's say that uh your, comp- your 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 production team likes to use monday.com, for instance. Uh, we would hook into monday.com, and in that case, we can actually schedule shows. So if someone comes to us and we want this to be published at uh, 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday, well, as long as your system tells us that it can, needs to be published at that time, our system will upload it at that time. Okay. Yeah. So we're very flexible about how we work and that's philosophically at the foundation of how the company's supposed to work. And there's good reasons for that because content creators, pardon the expression are kind of like herding cats. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, that's, that's true.
1: <laughs> so you really can't, I, I met a fellow who tried to do something like what we do, uh, maybe about 10 years ago for podcasts. And he just threw up his hands and said, nobody wants it. And I looked at the way he did it. And I'm like, there's a reason why no one wants your service. The reason that they don't want your service is you try to lock them into a particular workflow mm-hmm. and that you're saying, no, everybody has to do it this way. And I'm like, you don't need to do that. Technology is." Sp- flexible enough that you can accommodate a why. And honestly, when you get down to it, there's only a limited number of ways people can do it. So why not support all those ways of doing it so that everybody gets Mm to, you know, to do it the way they want to do it.
0: Right. So, so you said that you've been growing, you started really pushing it in 2019, I think is what you said. I mean, I'm just curious what types of, and I, obviously I'm not expecting you to name any clients or anything like that, but just like different industries, have there been any industries that have, have come to you that are a little bit surprising that you weren't expecting? Or like uh, di- different topics, you know, p- podcast topics well, or I- ideologies that you weren't expecting?
1: Um, I could tell you the one that I, I, I guess I, my business partners told me that it wasn't that surprising, but since I don't know much about that community, it was surprising to me. Mm-hmm Uh, other ufo people ah yeah they 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 like they like her service so that was a bit surprising and i actually have one client that is in the auto repair auto experimentation industry so Mm -hmm. he's like well i know that nothing i say right now could get me censored but he said i am conservative in my viewpoints and it's possible i could say something that would get me the platform. So I want to protect my content, even though it doesn't seem like it's a target. Very
0: forward looking. I mean, yeah, that's a smart guy. That's smart. smart guy. Yeah. Um, just, just curious, you know, obviously Elon Musk purchased Twitter. He's made some changes there. Um, who knows where he's going with everything? You know, there's, this background noise of him you know turning twitter into a uh, a payment payment application similar to what they have um in china with i forget the name of the app but essentially you can do everything through it um and, and what are his goals with that and he has neuralink and what is he going to tie tie a neuralink with twitter somehow but anyway I, i'm just curious to get your your views on uh on elon and if if he's someone you think is is friendly to uh to free speech <sighs> Elon.
1: I I don't I don't trust Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh now let me say that in a war you can ha and we are in a war. Uh in a war you can have allies that are temporary allies. And I see Elon as a temporary ally. But I also see him as a man who's very much interested in promoting Elon. So a lot of these things that he's behind. One, I, I'm fundamentally against Neuralink uh, because I think mm-hmm. that while I understand what he's saying and I, I understand the utility of being able to directly connect to machines, I also see a great danger in that, given the nature of human biology and uh, our son. <laughs> because uh we would be subject to frying our brains uh if we had a solar flare and there the sun is far Ooh. more powerful than any other thing that we can ever imagine no amount of geoengineering is going to be able to prevent us from what the sun can kick out
0: uh and that's an incredible incredible point i've never heard anybody bring that up before i mean i'm not gonna follow it that closely but yeah i had not thought of solar flares and everybody essentially dying who's hooked into it right it 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 would fry your brain and what Mm -hmm. a lot of
1: people i'm eclectic because of my education and Mm -hmm. uh i follow things like solar news every day and do you know two weeks ago have you ever heard of the carrington event
0: i don't think so no
1: it occurred in the 1850s, 1860s. I, I don't remember the exact day or okay. exact year. Uh, it was a solar flare. I think it was, they classify it as an X-50, I believe. And it was so strong that it caught all the telegraph lines on fire in the U.S. And the telegraph machines would auto-type, and even if you unplugged them from uh, their power source. Wow. Yeah. We had a Carrington level event two weeks ago that went the opposite direction from us. Huh? It so how, how do they,
0: how do they know that? So if it's on the opposite side you, what, of the sun, right. They, or they're still they able have, to, they have, this. Mo-
1: they have this monitor that they can see like the, Because whenever it goes the opposite direction, there still is a splash-off, right? Because it's kind of like dropping a pebble in the water. That Mm -hmm. mass ejection of material goes out in a kind of spherical shape. So you can actually measure the intensity at the other side. How intense was it at the other side by how intense it was at the edges? Okay. Right? You can extrapolate. And they're saying, well, no, if, if that had hit us, if it had been pointed toward us, it would have ended all the internet, all the high level technology we have would have been gone.
0: So, yeah, this that's, is that
1: a real thing? Dang- and
0: that's, and that a lot of people don't, th- I mean, this is getting a, l- a little bit down a rabbit hole, but uh, <laughs> talk about it, talk about it for a little bit. But yeah, people don't think about if something like that happened, I mean, the supply chain should be shut down. Electrical grid would be shut down. Um, Society would devolve into chaos within a week. I mean,
1: I think it would be worse in the West than, than uh, less developed countries that still have some, I think so too, you know, memory of what it's like to live pre power. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, there are places in the world that still don't have power. Yeah. So, you know, Elon, I, I don't, I don't trust him, but I do think he's a temporary ally. And, but I have seen some things recently that bother me. For instance, the whole Nashville shooting, you realize that there were journalists, uh, one, you may have heard of him. He's a, a, a Thai American journalist. His name's Andy. No, mm-hmm. uh, tried to post a warning about Trans Vengeance Day about a week before the Nashville shooting really yes and it was a Antifa related event that they were encouraging trans people to do acts of violence and Twitter locked his post and would not allow him to post it or keep it up I did not know that yeah. Yeah, you can see it on nose uh YouTube uh community page. He's got it posted
0: there. Okay, I have to look I have to look into that. Yeah, well that's it. I mean, yeah, and so so Elon bought Twitter advertising free speech, but yes, he's, it's just a different type of censorship, a little right.
1: bit. Right. Well, th- of course. It, if you're wanting to be Elon gets a lot of his money from the establishment. Mhm. So is it oh, really yeah. a good idea to pump, you know, like I say, he's a temporary ally. We can take advantage of what we can take advantage of. But as far as looking at this guy is, you know, Tony Stark or, <laughs> uh, you know, Iron yeah. Man, uh, which I've seen, you know, some people try to compare him to
0: Tony Stark, Iron Man, but, uh, he's, not- yeah. So l- let me ask you this because, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about the different platforms, that you'll you know you pull content from YouTube and distribute to these several different platforms. Um, in, in your opinion, are there ones that are more protected than others, or that would you know maybe are are not as susceptible to uh, to censorship? Those platforms that that you're you're pushing content to.
1: I would say that in our company philosophy, we encourage the development of distributed means of uh, reaching your, your, your viewers. So mm-hmm. while we're helping people get onto these platforms, I would say none of them are ultimately safe. That's why we're partnered with another group that is encouraging people to self-host video uh, using a peer-to-peer-based technology. And, and I'm I'm actually going to be pushing that much harder toward the end of the year as they finalize their product.
0: So so how would that work, self-hosting well, your video? Well, basically,
1: uh, just to give you a sketch, uh, you yeah. would get either an appliance, like a box that they make, or you would set up their software for free on a computer. Because this is not... While we have to make money at this sort of thing to be able to to do work and feed our families, uh, this is mm-hmm. not really ultimately about money. This is about an idea, and the technology. There's plenty
0: of things you plenty of things you could do to make money. Like, that's right,
1: and I often yeah. say that uh, you know I didn't <laughs> think of content safe necessarily as a way of making money. Thought of it more as an idea, and I have faith that. Out of this, I develop relationships that, if content safe, didn't make me enough money. I can make money other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, it's still a business, and you do have to pay for servers and all that stuff. Right? Uh, okay. The, the you buy the appliance, you upload your video on that appliance. And it it has software that allows other people to notice that that video was published on your appliance, and then they download it to their computers or their appliances, and it becomes a sharing network that people can watch your videos on. And it's community-owned. It's not run through a central server. Huh. And this technology is That's pretty cool. It is. And it's not new technology. I mean, it's been around for at least 10 or 15 years. Uh, it's it's actually quite mature technology. And there are competitors. The one I'm thinking of in particular is called uh, interplanetary file system. There are competitors to it that are newer, but IPFS has been around for a while. And what it takes is just people participating to make it good and what mm-hmm. we've done with this company is we're we're going to be the side that maintains the pl- the platforms so on their appliance you'll be able to enter an API key for content safe and then whenever you upload to that appliance then it will upload to us and we can put it on the platforms
0: i i like that a lot because <clears throat> because i mean one of the the biggest problems i see with you know, be it podcasting or with publishing to to YouTube, but um, you know, just, just speaking of podcasting for a minute, really the 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 bottleneck, the the problematic um point is essentially everything goes out through Apple Podcasts. And if Apple Podcasts were to shut you off, you're that's it. I mean you you don't have a show anymore, essentially. You're toast. Yep. So to have a way around that and yeah, if it's, if it's video, you know, whatever, you know, in my mind,
1: in my mind, the way we need to think about this is definitely a war mentality. We've got our, we've got our technologies that we can use on the front end, but then we also have our fallback technologies that we can use and we need to be willing to do this low scale. If we have to, uh, I've forgotten Mm -hmm. what they call them but su- supposedly before the u.s left Afghanistan there were these cars that would drive around that were full of computers and hard and hard disks and Wi-Fi and they would provide access to movies and uh, all sorts of things as the car drove by really that's a yeah really you can find it on Wikipedia I forgot what they call them but there was a name for them huh. yeah. We need to be willing to do it, however it takes.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And even just thinking, just stream of consciousness right now, um, you know, a show like ours, Lines of Liberty, needs to be investing in that scenario for for a living. I do. Risk mitigation work. I'm I'm a risk manager, so my my wheels just my wheels just start turning. Thinking I'm not even applying, um, you know, the things that I use in my day job to uh, to my podcasting and content creation. But uh, yeah, well, I think that we are so fortunate that
1: so many people are coming into this movement that have professional skills. We need to be thinking. How can I apply what I know to help this keep moving forward? Not just your particular mm-hmm. show, but the people in your community. How can they contribute to this? Right. It's not just money. It's so, also skills.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's a resource too. Skills, mm-hmm. skills are skills are resources. We, we can leverage that as well. And, and like as you said, this this is a war. So can you speak just a little bit more to that sort of? War mentality. Of course, you, you've, re- you've referenced Alex Jones a couple times. I, I love Alex Jones and uh, his his show, Info Wars. I mean, he re- he called this out decades ago. um What, well, what was going to happen? So, uh, can I, you just I, yeah speak to that?
1: I tell you, uh the real. Uh, even though I would give Alex some credit, uh, I would say that it was a French philosopher that actually really gave me this mentality. This French philosopher's name is Jacques. L-U E L L U L. He wrote, a, actually, he wrote 50 books in his life. And one of the pivotal books, or you could call it seminal books, that he wrote was called The Technological Society. He wrote it in 1950. 1950. Wow. And all of the stuff we rail about now, he had in that book. Time traveler. <laughs> well, he was at a key position in European society. And he was a war hero. <laughs> because whenever the Nazis took over France, he fled to, uh, I forget what it is, Vichy controlled France or what Vichy, I forgot what that's called. Uh, he went away from the Nazis and he helped people escape the Nazis. Uh and he was elevated to a French war hero. And because of his position and his education, that the guy was just a freaking genius. He was absolutely a genius. He had access to all the information that the European world would give him access to. And he would just keep reporting thing after thing after thing after thing after thing in his books. Mm-hmm. He had the work on the Technological Society, he had a book, he has a book on propaganda that would just blow your mind uh, that his insights and I read several of his books uh, after I encountered Jones and his, his viewpoint was that now he's actually kind of a black pill sort of guy. So I'm kind of watering him down a bit. Uh, His viewpoint was that our problem was technology. And for people who wouldn't, use technology, they were they were under threat. Because if you're not using technology, then you're going to lose, most likely. Mm-hmm. And I take my philosophy from there. We have to up our game. We also have to be aware of the consequences of the technologies we use, like for instance, Neuralink. Why would I bother to worry about solar flares? Well because I'm investigating risk management, right? I'm investigating Mm -hmm. what are the possible dangers of adopting a technology and how do I compensate for those dangers? So my war mentality is based on that.
0: Uh, That's extremely interesting. Um, I mean, it kind of, it kind of ties over. I was listening to a podcast recently where, you know, they were talking about talking about warfare, talking about, the spiritual warf- warfare side of it, I don't know if you're you're a, a faith based person or not. It doesn't really matter, but just it, it's it's a similar thing. Um, thinking how you know the devil created technology, but God can still use the technology for good. Um, it, I mean, and then just not using it, um, you're missing you're missing out on that on that outlet that uh that path um, to reach others. But well.
1: Staying in the general sense of spiritual, I do believe that this is, first and foremost, a spiritual war. Uh, I feel that it's in the hearts of men that these things originate, Mm -hmm. and we need to be very conscious of that. Uh, If you look at the recent events about the shooting, uh, it's very obvious that that's what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean
0: yeah. It's, it, it's, kinda, it, it's it's kind it's it's kind of like and there's a lot of people in in my space in this libertarian freedom space that over the the course of the past r- really COVID COVID lockdowns really really set it off for a lot of people where we realized um prior to that you know you're in this space where it's Oh, let's talk about libertarian philosophy and these hypotheticals. And if this happened, the government may do this or do that. And then it was, you know, bam, punch you in the face. Don't leave your house. Otherwise, you're going to prison. You can't work. I'm shutting down your business. And it's like, holy shit, we're we're dealing with something, something serious here. Right. Right. You know, and to emphasize that whenever I use the word technology,
1: and I, I often forget to point this out. I don't just mean electronics and mechanical. Mm-hmm. The whole lockdown thing is a kind of technology to control a, a mass of po- a populace. Yeah. So you have to be aware so are,
0: of that technology. That technology exists. Are Are you um, are you alluding to uh? Vaccine cards or CBDCs, or you're speaking simple, to it in a different simple way. Simple as
1: the lockdowns. I mean, the vaccines. I definitely mm-hmm. think are a population control mechanism. Yeah, yeah, and I think that we're going to see that more and more and more uh, as the years go by, as birth birth rates decline, because it's yeah. de- definitely hurting uh, reproductive uh, ability.
0: Yeah, they, they've they've admitted that. I mean, they admitted that you know women taking the vaccine have you know menstruation issues and yep. uh, it's, well it's, miscarriages yeah. are on the rise. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it, it's you know the only question I have is is this uh, let's say a person who took one dose it, is mm-hmm. that going to be something? I've heard Peter McCullough say that that your body can actually flush out the MRNA portion of the vaccine in six months because it's foreign. I've heard mm-hmm. other people say, no, it's permanent, but I don't know. Time will tell.
0: Yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, maybe they'll come up with a way to, to test, um, you know, th- these people who did take the vaccine and, and re- regretting it can, you know, actually, you can start to troubleshoot and figure out what works to, to maybe, Flush it well out there are there are, are people quickly.
1: working on that there are people working on yeah that.
0: And i i like i say it's time
1: will tell it, it's really hard yeah. to say right now because i uh, my wife and i've talked about this that uh i never at any point didn't think of this as anything but deliberate mm-hmm. some people say oh no it's incompetence no, I I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think this is incompetence at all. It's deliberate.
0: Yeah, well, that, that makes sense with, with your background and what you've read and what you understand. Um, for for you to to, to immediately see it for uh for what it was. Well, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah, it was a. Tr- sorry, tr- tremendous amount of fear and and propaganda that uh you know that that we've that we've gone through that, that the world has uh has gone through. I do want to talk a little bit more. We'll talk about that in the bonus show about your experience in your part of the world with COVID and lockdowns. Sure. Talk about that. But before we leave the main show, um, I want you to actually first let's do this. So is there anything about content safe that I didn't ask you about, or we didn't talk about that you'd really like to, uh, to bring up, or is there just something you just want to to drive home? uh, You know,
1: well, there are a couple things that are right now in the oven. So to speak. And I think those are worth mentioning. One, mm-hmm. uh, we are building a cross-platform statistics gathering system. So hopefully in the next hundred and twenty days or so, we're going to have the ability to look at when a show is broadcast, look at its viewership, watch That's the great. Uh, yeah, you know, watch it and be able to analyze, like, okay, if I publish it this time do I get more views than if I publish it this time and do that on, uh, and also keywords and other things like that.
0: The other thing would that would, I'm sorry. Maybe you're going to say the other thing is what I'm going to ask, but I'll ask it right now. Anyway, would that, would there be a goal eventually to be able to use that for monetization or? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the key. Uh,
1: one of my big clients, what, what, one of my big clients, um, is um, uh, using that system to aid in their monetization. Uh, the sorry, my wife poked her head into the office there for a second. Yeah, no problem. Uh, the The other thing is, we are building a machine lang- a machine, a learning system for identifying um, what could potentially get you taken off of a platform. So, like offensive language terms of service violations and we're doing Mm -hmm. this specifically because some of content creators want to clip their videos and they want to make sure that the clips are clean and then they'll post them on youtube and instagram and then that's supposed to drive traffic over to their non mainstream platforms
0: okay so so just taking a clip and saying hey youtube here I am. My video is is over here. If you want to see this interview like, like that, like a, like a promo that you would.
1: Yeah, right. Or, exactly. Yeah. Something that, okay, just yeah. a hook to get you to come over to the, yeah. to an, another platform. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. And, are, well, what's the second by? thing I I, I, I interrupted you in, in the middle of there. You said there was a second thing. Oh, that's that the,
1: that was the second
0: thing. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And, and last thing, um, just, just plugs content, safe yourself, your social media. If, if you want to share any of that.
1: Uh, yeah. Contentsafe.co is our website. And if you're interested to book on uh, a uh, call with us, just uh, fill out the ingestion form and we can schedule an appointment to talk.
0: All right. Sounds good. Um, we're going to go to the bonus show now. So be sure to subscribe and join the Lions of Liberty Pride to hear that. And uh, Matthew Raymer, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you're welcome. All right. Hope you all enjoyed that interview today with my guest, Matthew Raymer. Really, really interesting guy. And you can also go and listen to the, to the bonus part too, because I'm sure you're going to want to continue on. So uh, definitely do that after I wrap this show here. If you don't, if you aren't a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, you can easily join by going to patreon.com slash of liberty or lions of and getting that bonus feed so you can hear Uh, the rest of my conversation with Matthew, I was, uh, really, I don't want to say surprised by how much I enjoyed this conversation, but, um, you know, I haven't honestly, I never heard Matthew on a podcast before. Um, I was familiar with his product content safe, really interested in learning more about it. And, uh, really, I mean, super interesting guy getting to talk with Matthew. I got to talk to him for, you know, another hour. Um, So I probably will have him back on in the future and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. And I'm pretty much going to end the show right about here because I'm recording this very, very late on Sunday night and I need to finish editing this podcast, get it published. It's been a heck of a week and a weekend um didn't have time to do it until right now so hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode and i will see you all next week always remember to keep always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning